Thanks for joining us today on the Beach Church Podcast. As a church, we exist to reach, raise up, and release followers of Jesus who change the world. Thank you for partnering with us in that mission. If only you could buy a Tesla for a quarter. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. So we are so appreciative of our children and uh, the wisdom that they are imparting to us about finances during this series. Hey, uh, if we've never met before, my name is Jerry, and I serve here as one of the pastors. And uh, whether you're joining us online or here in person today, we're so grateful for you to be here. And uh, just a little fun fact is that right now, right up the road of 95 at Epworth Camp, uh, we have about 250 students and adults for their annual um, student ministry retreat. And so uh, if you think about it, remember our students and adults in your prayer. Uh, Epworth is like one of those places that is like the genesis of a lot of people's first beginning their walk of faith with Jesus. It's such a, has so many memories and so many great uh, works of the Spirit that have happened there. So be in prayer for all the kids as they worship and play and have fun and do all those great things at Epworth this weekend. Uh, we are in a series, uh, our second week, uh, and it's basically called In God We Trust, and it's a financial freedom series. And some of you, for your very first time showing up at church today, are like, oh, great. I get to come on the week that the pastor's talking about money. Uh, hang with us. I, I think you will find some great value in the message today. Uh, last week, Pastor Kerry preached the first message, and he said that financial freedom begins with putting God first and trusting him as our provider. You see, our whole philosophy is that God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And what God wants for us is freedom. That something that was intended to be a gift to us has become a taskmaster. And most of us associate uh, with money, our experience with money is usually some negative connotations and some grief and some pain and some heartbreak. And God never intended for money to have that place in our lives. You see, God knows, and this is the reason why there's so much about money in the Bible, God knows that our relationship with money is complicated. It's complicated. That's why Jesus, 16 out of his 38 parables, deal with money and possessions. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with managing money and possessions. One out of 10 verses in the four Gospels deals with money. And yet, get this. Jesus never asked for money. Well, there was the one time when Jesus was going to try to help them see, here's what you give to Caesar and here is what you give to God. And he borrowed someone's coin, taught the message, and then gave it back to him. The reason why money and possessions is such a big deal to Jesus is because it's the one thing that has the potential to rival God in your heart and in mine. And so today, I want us to focus on one very important principle that will make a difference when it comes to our finances and this complicated relationship we have with it. And that's this, God owns it all. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, thank you so much that you are the most generous being in all of creation. You have extravagantly poured out blessing after blessing, gift after gift, even the gift of life that is most important. And when all was said and done, you would give your one and only son that we might be saved from our sins and saved for a new future in him. We thank you, O God, and we pray that you would teach us from your truth about what it means to live life with open hands. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, my granddaughter, Sinclair, I think she was about three years old when we took her to her first movie in the movie theater. And uh, every time I go to the movie theater, I just think about it's just extortion. The prices they charge you for movies and refreshments. And usually, Denise and I, when we go, you know, we're like not doing the whole refreshment thing. We refuse to pay that. But when the grandkids go, we just march them right up to the counter and we pay the $15 for a bucket of popcorn and for an icy because that's what grandparents do. We spoil our grandkids. That's our job in life. And so uh, we, we went to the movie theater, and I, I think, y'all, I sure think there's a conspiracy. I think that they pump the aroma of popcorn into the movie theater to get you to go buy that $15 bucket of popcorn. And so we sit down, we're watching the movie, she's sitting there munching on the popcorn, and uh, I, I turned to her because I thought, I would love a handful of popcorn. And so I asked her if I could have a bite of her popcorn. To which she said, of course, G-Dada, you bought the popcorn with your hard-earned money. The popcorn actually belongs to you. In fact, you take the bucket of popcorn and will you give me a bite of your popcorn? And I know even if we eat this whole bucket, you could buy many, many more bags of popcorn. She didn't say any of that. What three-year-old would say something like that, right? Here's what she said. Three words. No, it's mine. It's mine. Now, no one taught that three-year-old to be greedy and selfish and think that she owns what other people have bought for her. It's just a part of the DNA of the human race. You see, from the very beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. And at the pinnacle of that creation, he created man and woman. And then God puts them in this lush garden and he says, look, I've given you freedom of choice. You have the rights to every single fruit-bearing bush and tree within this beautiful garden except for one tree, just one. Everything else is yours. As far as you can see, it's all yours. And in their freedom, they looked at everything God had given them. And they chose to steal the one thing that God said was his. Mine. Mine led to the human train wreck. And so, as we take a look today at this whole issue of ownership... 
The truth is we assume that what we have in our possession is ours. In our culture, we celebrate being owners, right? You own your home as opposed to renting your home. You know, you own all of your, your, your money and your bank account and your stocks and your, you know, your 401k. All of it belongs to us. And then we, we take life, you know, the precious, fragile gift of life. And we wake up every morning, if we're honest, with a sense of entitlement. The heart just gets to beat again. The air just flows through our lungs over and over and over again. We possess it, therefore it's ours. We earned it, we got the degree, we took the interview, we got the job, we managed and invested well, it's ours. And the more ownership invades our thinking, the more propensity we have to think that everything in our hands is to be used at our own discretion. So how does ownership have anything to do with financial freedom? I'm glad you asked. I want to take a look just for a moment at what the Bible says about ownership. Now, usually, if you're new to Beach, we usually go through one passage as a part of the message. Today, I'm going to popcorn through many different passages just to show that from cover to cover, the Bible says there is only one owner, and it's not you, and it's not me. The first is from Exodus 19.5, and here's what it says. God says, all the earth is mine. The word all in the Hebrew is translated all. There is no mixed meaning here. Everything, God says, is mine. Now, the context of this passage comes from a time where God has set the people free from slavery in Egypt. And now he's leading them through the wilderness. And when they were thirsty, God has provided water from a rock. He's helped them to defeat their enemy, the Amalekites. And then when the people said, hey God, uh, we're hungry and food we had back in Egypt, but we ain't got it here. And so God rained down bread from heaven. And when they got tired of the bread and they wanted more, God said, okay, I'll give you meat too. And so all this has taken place. And as Moses continues to look at what God is doing for the people and where God is taking them on this journey through the wilderness, he reminds the Israelites that the sovereign God who says that I own it all is cutting you in on the deal of a lifetime. God is saying, join me. It's yours. Let's go change the world. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 10 in the Old Testament, there's another passage, uh, and the context of this passage is that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and they're, all, they're written by the hand of God on these tablets. And after spending 40 days up on the mountain, Moses comes down to address the people about the commandments of God. And when he gets down, guess what everybody's doing? They're dancing around this golden calf, an idol that they have fashioned in place of the one and only sovereign God. And Moses loses his mind. He is so angry and he's so concerned about what, what, what's going to happen with God that he throws the commandment tablets of God on the ground and they shatter in a million pieces. 
He takes the, the golden calf they have made. He burns it into powder. And then he dumps the powder into the stream coming from the mountain of God. And he gets with God again. And he petitions on behalf of the people. And he recreates these tablets. And God once again writes the commandment. Again, did you hear that? Again, God writes the commandments down for the people of God. And he instructs Moses to build an ark, a a container that would carry the ark. That would contain the, the commandments of God. And once again, he flashes the sovereignty of God before God's people. He reminds them of whose team they get to be a part of. And he says, to the Lord your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Fast forward to the book of Job in the Old Testament. Job is this this, uh, man who has been faithful to God and he's seeking to follow after God. And he's entered into a season of great trials and heartbreak and loss. And in that moment, he's, he's got all these questions. He's trying to figure it out and trying to answer all the questions. And he's, he's trying to tell God a little bit about his situation and about uh, what should be happening that's not happening. And God reminds him in that moment of the complexity of the creation that God sovereignly rules over. And in Job 41.11, God says, Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm 24 points to the sovereignty of God, beginning with these words. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In other words, everyone and everything in this world has the manufacturing label of God attached to it. Everything. In the New Testament, fast forwarding, there are these people that live in the city of Corinth. And in Corinth, it was a very pagan city in which the mission of the church in the first century entered into. And these people had been practicing a pagan form of religion where they would basically go into these temple courts where they were temple prostitutes and basically they would have sex as a part of their religious duty. And so this is happening, and when when the early believers entered into Corinth, many people gave their lives to Jesus. But you know how it is? It's like you've been enculturated by the culture, and you've been given God's truth, and now they're just kind of, they're living for God's truth, but yet they're kind of, you know, kind of moving back into some old patterns of pagan religion. And this is when Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. See, Paul's saying, not only did God create you, but when Jesus died on the cross for you, he redeemed you. He bought you back from the power of sin and death. So you've been twice bought. And Paul's saying, therefore, can't you see it? 
what you do with your body that, that God created, that God owns, it matters to him. It matters. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to a young church leader named Timothy on how following Jesus ought to change the way we live. And uh, when he addresses money, Paul writes that the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money, what, the meaning we attach to money, has the potential to cause train wrecks in our lives. Grief, loss, and pain. And then he begins the conversation on the whole issue of money by reminding people of an important truth. 1 Timothy 6, 7, you have brought nothing into the world, so you, can take, you cannot take anything out of it either. All of life is temporary. You don't bring anything into it, and you don't take anything out of it. As Pastor Kerry shared last week, you don't see uh, hearses pulling U-Haul trailers. Because everything that you have held so tightly in your hands is released when you depart from this earth. I saw it firsthand. Now, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. We have a new granddaughter as of Friday. And we're so excited. Now, don't tell my son and my daughter-in-law about it. Because there's a new rule in grandparenting these days. And the rule is, until the parents make an official post on Instagram... The baby doesn't even exist, right? I can't share pictures. I can't tell names. None of that, which I get it. It should be the story, their story to tell. But anyway, that, so I'm not going to tell you anything about it. But I saw her. And when she entered into this world, she had nothing in her hands. She had nothing to offer except for that precious little girl, wrinkly, puffed up, red-skinned, precious daughter of God. But it's true. We don't bring anything in. We don't take anything out. For one small sliver of life, of all of eternity, you and I get to play a part. And we've been given everything that we own. It's on loan. It's not ours. James 1.17 reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, who is in heaven. And then David, I want to go back to this one. David in the Old Testament comes to the end of his life, and all he wanted to do was leave a legacy for God. And that legacy was to build the temple for God's glory. Except for God came to David and said, you're not going to build the temple. That's going to be something that is given to your son, Solomon. And so in a beautiful display of humility and generosity, David gives the equivalent, I've read in commentaries, of $20 billion for the temple to be built. A temple that would never have a plaque with his name on it. Why could King David offer that kind of extravagant gift? Here's why. He didn't own anything. It's what he said. 
First Chronicles 29, he writes this. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. But who am I? Who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from your hand. Here's what King David knew. He was a shepherd boy. He was the least in his family. And God pulled him out of the pasture and put him in a palace. And David never forgot that. He never forgot the victory over Goliath. In the midst of all of his victories and his his losses and his successes and his failures, David never forgot. God, you own it all. It was never mine to begin with. And of course then, in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, it begins this way. God created the heavens and the earth. That pretty much settles the question of ownership. Now, here's an interesting thing. Not a single verse in the Bible says that God has surrendered ownership of anything to you and to me. It's all alone for this one and only life. So, here's kind of the point. Everything you are and possess in the world belongs to God. Here's a, here's a wonderful quote that I, I found. John Ortberg writes this. The reality of this world is that I was born into someone else's kingdom. My life came to me as a gift that I did not choose. It is suspended from a slender thread that I did not weave and con- cannot on my own sustain. Paul belongs to God. Now, I want to kind of show this through an example. And, and this might not be something anyone has because most people don't carry them anymore. But does someone have a pencil? A pencil. Got a pencil? All right. Let's check this out. Thank you, Marie. This, this pencil right here is going to be perfect for this illustration. Ready? You ready? Now, what are you thinking about right now? What a jerk! He just broke that poor woman's pencil. Now, let me just show you how one little fact changes everything. What if I told you that before the service, I gave my pencil to Marie in order to do this illustration? Because here's the truth. The truth is, whoever owns has some rights to what they own. The owner's intent matters when it comes to life. Because like you, you would be like, yeah, he's such a jerk, he just broke that woman's pencil. But when you find out it's my pencil, that's probably not a good investment of 50 cents if I'm going to break it. Now, but besides that, the point is, 
you'd fully get it. You'd say the owner's intent matters. That's the way you honor the owner by using something in the way in which they intend for it to be used. And so, when we were, um, it's probably been at least, uh, it's over a decade, probably 13, 14 years, we've had a couple of our friends who own a mountain house in North Carolina. And every single year, y'all, they spend the whole summer there. Every single year, they leave their house to let my wife and I and any of our family members come and spend two weeks in their mountain home. Now, I have never done anything, and it would be ridiculous, right, if we went in there and trashed their home when they're letting us use it, and it all belongs to them. In fact, when we go there, we treat it like, you know, with with gentle gloves, and we like, because we want to honor the owner's and their generosity, and we want to be grateful for everything they've given us. And so, we want to always leave their place even better than we found it. Because that's how we honor owners. Take away the word mine, and you put the word his, and it changes everything. How do I honor God's intent with the body that's on loan to me right now. What do you do? You don't abuse it. You don't destroy it. It's precious property. And God has given it to us on loan for a period of time. And what we do to honor the owner of our bodies is we do the best we can to take care of it, to try to eat the right food, foods on the majority of time and, and exercise and, and treat it well. Because it's on loan. And one day, it's all handed back in. How do I honor God's intent with my talents and and with the gifts that he has given me? They're, They're his gifts. They're his talents, right? Some of you, just some of you have the gift of singing. And some of us have the gift of making a joyful noise. But the truth is, if you got the gift of singing... God intended for you to use that gift to bring bring beauty into the world and to bring the light of God and his love into the world. If you have the gift of hospitality, not everybody has that gift, right? I mean, if it was just left up to me and someone came over to our house, we'd have like paper plates and whatever I could find paper in the closet, you know, in the pantry. But my wife, it's like a a display. It's like a beautiful, warm, and welcoming. You got to get the candles just right, the music just right. She has the gift of hospitality. So if you've got that gift, you use it. It was intended, God gave it to you to use it for his glory in the world, to honor the owner. How do I honor God in the everyday job I had? You see, our jobs, you know, a lot of times we think of a job as a, as a curse, because you read about all the hard work that's going to have to be done after Adam and Eve sinned. And, and, but the reality is God gave the gift of work before the fall of humanity. It was intended to be a gift. God was saying, I want to partner with you. And I want you to be a part of, of taking care of the creation and this world that I've given you. I want us to be partners in this. And um, 
So if God has given us that gift, every day we show up, our attitudes, the way we, we do our jobs, all of that matters as a way of honoring the owner. How do I honor God's intent with children or with grandchildren? You know what the Bible says about our children? The Bible says they are an inheritance or a gift from God. They don't belong to you. They don't belong to me. And we make a practice as a culture of really just trying to make our kids an extension of us. Or what maybe we never got that we want them to do. Come hell or high water, you're going to do it. Because that's what, I, that's what I want. And the Bible is very different about that. The Bible says they are a gift. They belong to the Lord. So how do we parent them and love them and take care of them in a way that draws them closer to a relationship with Jesus and teaches them about what it means to be a son or daughter of God in this world? And then, of course, the topic of the hour How do I honor God's intent with the financial resources he's placed in my hand? Some of us get a little, some of us get a lot, but everybody gets something from the storehouse of the Lord. And I know we sometimes say, well, I earned it, I've worked hard for it, but the reality is, who gave us the brain? Who gave us the intellect? Who gave us the body? Who gave us the opportunities to have those resources? How do I honor God's intent? with what he has given me. See, here's the crazy thing. It's like God who owns everything, you know, all of the money in the world. God owns it all. He can take it whenever he wants it. He owns it all. And yet, think of this, the sheer generosity. God writes your name and my name on all of his accounts. His bank account, His credit card, well, God probably doesn't do the credit card thing. I hope he doesn't do that too much of that. But he writes our name across all of his stocks, across all of his 401K. Your name, my name. For a period of time, we get to manage it and take care of it. See, here's an important thing to remember. If God owns it all, then every decision about money is a spiritual decision. What will I do with the money God has given me? Am I grateful for all that I have? Or am I constantly looking at others and wishing I had what they had? Am I generous? Am I the master over God's money or does the money master me? Do I prioritize how I spend God's money? In one of the most famous parables Jesus ever taught, he tells a story of a a man, a master, sometimes it's referred to as a king, who basically is going to go on a journey. And he chooses to take some of his wealth and place it in the hands of some of his servants. And the whole deal is that um, he gives it to them to manage for a time. But, but he makes it very clear. It's very clear in Jesus' story. One day, the master is going to return. And he's going to ask for accountability for what they've done with his resources. Now, this is not, you know, when you look at this parable, this is not a salvation issue. That's by grace alone. 
This is about how do we live to honor the owner with our lives. The whole point of Jesus' story, it wasn't how much they were given, because they were all given different amounts. It was what they did with the owner's resources. The owner of all finances gives you and me a little bit of time, a little bit of money, and a little bit of opportunity. And his expectation is that we would steward or manage his money well. Here's a prayer that I think if we prayed this every day would change our lives. And it says, Dear God, what should I do with what you have given to me? What should I do with what you have given to me? Now, the last two weeks of this series, uh, we're going to get very practical. We're going to talk about what is God's intent about giving, saving, and spending. And can I just say as an aside, um, Financial Peace University, if you've never taken that, I want to encourage you to sign up to take it. I wish that when I was a young guy just starting out, I would have had a class like Financial Peace University. Do y'all know, this is a secret confession, don't judge me, but when I first married Denise, and I was a smart guy, but I was never told anything about money. So I kept going, everyone saw I'd go to the ATM. This is before we actually got married, we both had our own accounts. I'd go to the ATM, and I'd come back to Denise, and I said, Denise, it said I don't have any money. And it wouldn't give me any money. And she said, well, when's the last time you balanced your checkbook? And I said, what's balancing my checkbook? I wish I would have had that. Financial peace to help me understand about how to, how to spend and use my resources. It's not just about giving. It's about how to spend, how to save. All of that. It's such a powerful thing. Man, if I would have had that back then, it would have saved me from a lot of heartache and grief through the years. So I encourage you to check that out. But here's the point today, is that God does not give his truth in order to take something from you or me. Most of the teaching on money in the Bible is not about the church getting your money. It's about your money not getting you. God's word is practical when it comes to how we steward the resources we have in life. The one who gives us life gives us his truth in order to help us experience in this one and only God-given life freedom when it comes to finances, not bondage. God intended our financial resources to be a gift, not a taskmaster. And so God's intent is that the financial resources that he gives us can be a source of life and a tool for good in this world. But if we grab God's property and we call it mine and we begin to use it in whatever way we want, make no doubt about it, these gifts can become our greatest nightmare. Some of you are living in it right now. The choice from this day forward, it's yours and it's mine. And God wants to use this incredible resource to set us free. 
And I pray that for each and every one of us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your truth. Your truth that is not intended to hurt us in any way or in any way to somehow take something precious from us. Your truth is to help us have a right relationship with something that could be a blessing, but also something that could be a taskmaster. So God, it is our prayer that we would begin to live life not with clenched fists, trying to grab at everything that we can to hold on to for dear life as if somehow we won't be able to protect it. God, teach us what it means to live open-handedly. That everything we have in life is simply passing through our hands. And how we see your ownership will make all the difference in the world in helping us to be set free to live the abundant life that you wanted for us to have with the gifts you have given. May that be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's podcast. We'd love to connect with you and hear from you on how this week's podcast impacted you. You can always connect with us through our app, Beach Church Jacks, which is found on the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. And you can always go to our website, beachchurchjacks.com. Have a great day.